Have fun. I just wanted to tell you so you don't freak out for a little. Okay. Hey, welcome to Marginally, a podcast about writing, work, and friendship. I'm Olivia, a corporate fraud investigator living in London with my husband and two cats. I'm currently working on a novel and daydreaming about lots of other projects. And I'm Megan, a librarian and freelance indexer writing about complex women's friendships for both young adult and adult audiences. We are so excited to have Nina LaCour on our show today. We have been huge fans of Nina's for a long time. She's the best-selling and Michael L. Prince award-winning author of five critically acclaimed young adult novels published by Dutton Books. Her latest book is called Watch Over Me, a spooky, atmospheric, but also kind and warm book that we both devoured recently and we loved. Her earlier books are We Are Okay, Hold Still, The Disenchantments, and Everything Leads to You. Her novels have been Junior Library Guild selections, ALA Best Books for Young Adults, and have been named among the best books of the year by numerous publications and organizations. There are really too many of these to list here. Nina is from San Francisco and received an MFA in creative writing at Mills College. Her graduate thesis became her first novel, Hold Still, which received a William C. Morris honor from the American Library Association. After taking a few years off to stay home with her young daughter, Nina is teaching again with Hamlin University's MFA program, as well as with independent students. She's also a fellow podcaster, and we really recommend her podcast, Keeping a Notebook, on which she did, briefly, a series of podcasts about her lockdown experiences, and which we briefly discuss in this interview. She runs the Slow Novel Lab, which is a fabulous online course that we discuss further in this interview. By her own description, she thrives on lesson planning and lecture writing, classroom discussions, guiding students through their short story and novel drafts, and offering interactive lectures on craft and creativity. And we think you'll agree after you hear this interview. She is so passionate and generous about working to develop other writers. Check out her work and her workshops. We know you'll love them. Enjoy the interview. Thanks again, Nina, for coming on. And uh, I guess just to kick off, if you could tell us a little bit about you know, your writing career and uh, also kind of how you're writing and what you're doing in this interesting time that we're all living in. So, yeah. Sure. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be on. Thank you. I really enjoy your podcast so much. Um, so, gosh, yes, my writing career. I mean, it started pretty slowly, I would say. Like, I, I always knew I wanted to be a writer, and I went to college and majored in creative writing and then went straight into grad school took out a bunch of loans, um, which was maybe, maybe a good idea, maybe not, um, to get an MFA in fiction. Um, but during that time, I did write what would become my first novel, Hold Still, as my thesis. And so that was a really wonderful experience. And I'm not sure that I would have found YA if I hadn't gone to grad school. It, was, it wasn't really on my radar very much. And I thought I went in writing an adult novel and thought that's what I was going to do. And then was interested in taking an adolescent literature class and took a couple from this great um, Professor Catherine Reese, who's had a really long, wonderful career in children's fiction, and um, just fell in love with that in writing for teenagers. And so I started writing Hold Still, and it felt like, oh, this is it. Like I found the story that I can tell right now. Um, I think I was 
trying to write adult fiction when I was like barely an adult myself. I started the program at like 21 or something. So I'm trying to tell this like big sweeping, you know, story about people with way more life experience than me. And then when I started writing from the perspective of a 16 year old girl, I was like, oh, I know this. I know this intimately and I can do this. And so that clicked into place. And then from there, I just got kind of contract after contract with my editor to continue writing young adult novels. And I wrote them very slowly. Like I never subscribed to the one book a year ideal. Um, and that was mostly because I had a full-time teaching job, but you know, I, I wasn't trying to make a living with my writing at that time at all. I was just trying to write books that would be published and that people would find. And so I did that. And then um, around the time that my daughter went to kindergarten, I had this kind of new burst of energy and I felt like, okay, you know, cause I quit teaching um, high school by that time. I quit actually like right before she was born. So I had been, you know, this stay at home parent with the kid for five years and I was ready to do something to really like focus on my work again in a, in a more devoted way. And so then from that point on, which was just a couple of years ago, I feel like my idea about what I want for myself and my writing life and teaching life has, has expanded and, and become a lot more of a, one of the central parts of my life. So I've been doing a bunch of new projects. I just sold a couple of adult novels to um, Flatiron, which is, actually the characters in the novel that I entered grad school with are the characters in this book that just is, is going to come out in early 2022. Um, and I have a couple picture books in the works and a chapter book series too. And so, and more YA of course. So I'm just kind of like at this point where I'm really branching out and seeing, seeing what I can do and, and trying everything out. I mean, I'm curious because Megan and I both, I mean, the main thing that we constantly do is invent new projects and also constantly write each other like, I need to focus on this, whatever our so-called main project is. Um, and sometimes it's really hard to tell. So I'm curious, since you just named like 10 different projects that you have going on, how do you choose what to focus on? And like, how do you prioritize that sort of, I mean, it's kind of nuts and bolts or theory, depending on what level you want to answer that at. Yeah, I mean the funny thing is I didn't even mention like my podcast or the class that I teach on my own or the webinar I decided to do or, you know, the mailing list. Like I, um, I'm absolutely that way too. I completely relate. I am like my own worst enemy when it comes to giving myself time to focus on one project. And I guess as time has gone on and I've tried to like learn more about how I work and why I, I constantly take on so much for myself. I think, I think like that is a necessary part of my creative process is having a bunch of ideas and letting them overlap and inform one another. But at the same time too, I need to carve out times of focus where I can really get deep into a project. And so I guess it's like, I've, it's like, I, I think that I crave this like super simple schedule where like I only have one thing to do at a time and I can just like go into my office and just work on my novel revision for like a month and a half or something, you know, where I can just immerse myself. But then when really what I want is like a bunch of exciting things <laughs> to keep me on my toes. <laughs> and so um, <laughs> it's just like this constant 
battle of like, you know, what, what is it that I truly want? And I, I don't have the answers yet, I guess. I mean, I would like to, but I think one thing that, well, I had this experience like when we first started sheltering in place in San Francisco where I was like, you know, I'm okay. I'm going to start this new like series on my podcast called writing in place. And I'm going to have all of these, you know, exercises and I'm just going to like for myself and for others, like try to lean into this like strange life that we're living and like find acceptance, like, yeah, find acceptance within myself for like what our lives are turning into. And so I started doing it and I'm so excited and had my friend Mia Nolting, who does all of my like hand lettering and design stuff, like like paint something for me to use as like new cover art for the podcast and all this stuff. And I and Kristen, my wife, like took a bunch of photographs for for it of like our new place that we'd moved into. And um and then like I did four of them and I was like, I'm not interested in this. Like this is horrible. <laughs> like this is not where <laughs> I want to be right now. All I want to do is write fiction. And so I just, I just dropped it, but I had such like shame in dropping it because I had like, first of all, like announced it to the world, right? I mean the world, whoever it is, who's <laughs> following me, <laughs> um, but I had announced it. Like I had started it. Um, I actually felt like pretty proud of how it was turning out. Like I liked the episodes. I, you know, I thought it was, I thought it was a good thing that I was putting out into the world, but I just didn't want to do it. And so I think like the way that I, I, I'm like an avoidant person when that sort of thing happens. So I just kind of like went like radio silent and there were things I wanted to um, like share in my newsletter, but I was just like full of shame. Like, Oh no, but I've, I'm the person who's abandoned the project. Like I can't share anything with anybody right now. Like until I address what I've done, like as though anybody really cared <laughs> or it was, you know, like the two people who might've been waiting for the next episode were maybe like shrugging or <laughs> I'm glad to know that, <laughs> that maybe you were among them. Um, but you know, it like, wasn't a big deal. I could have come out and been like, Oh, you know, I just got sucked up in this other project and life is weird right now. But instead I really, you know, like punished myself for it. So I guess like one of the lessons that I'm teaching myself is like, if I have a new project idea, I'm, I'm pledging to myself that I'm going to give myself time to really think it over and like do a lot of the planning. And, you know, like if I were to do that project again, I think I would have tried to write like a number of the episodes and really like sat with it, you know, maybe for a few weeks before deciding this is what I was going to do so that I could actually like, tell that my energy, you know, was going, that it was like, it would be a good use of my creative energy for a long time instead of being so impulsive and feeling like whenever I have an idea, I have to just like make it happen immediately and, and jump on it. Because I think, you know, we only do, we have a finite amount of time and <laughs> creative energy and like output that we can do. And so I think that, that really making sure that we're devoting that to the projects that are right for us at the time is important. But that said, I mean, it takes trial and error. Um, and I'm, I'm certainly still figuring it all out. What about you though? I mean, how, how do you deal with all of these projects that? Uh, <laughs> great question. I just never finished anything. Um, no, like I did raise my hand because I love your podcasts, all of them, but I also think no one, well, I don't know, maybe you have some really demanding fans out there, but I don't think anybody that started something at the beginning of this situation 
really expected everybody to like follow through. Megan and I had this idea of doing like a, we had a concept album, like it doesn't even make sense necessarily, <laughs> but like we had a bunch of ideas that we were like, yeah, we're going to do this. And then, you know, a week later, it's just like either the weight of even thinking about the problem uh, became too difficult or something like that. So I think in a way, I think it perfectly represents like artistically what all of us went through. It's like you had all this like big, like I have to do something with this situation and blah, blah, blah. And then eventually it's like, it's just a situation maybe. I don't know. Yeah. You know, and it becomes a little bit normal and it almost seems difficult to like maintain the energy that it takes to focus on the fact that you're in lockdown or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's hard. Um, but yeah, so I think, I mean, I try to have like one project that I'm doing and then I just like flirt with a million other things. And to be honest, that's actually really fine. Like, yeah. you know, in a way I write more stories when I'm supposed to be writing my novel than any time that I've ever thought, like, I'm going to write stories now, you know? Mm -hmm. So you just have these other ideas that come out and they seem more exciting and maybe it's, there's like, you can do something with that. So I don't know. But equally, you've published novels and I haven't, so maybe my system doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, you haven't yet. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but that's, how, that's how it is for me, too. Like, I, like, the picture books that I've written or the chapter book that I wrote, like, it's all, you know, they're, they're fitting into these pockets of time when I'm not feeling motivated to work on my novels that I'm writing. So... I think that is um, exactly how it is for me too. And it's nice that our brains do that because I guess like there's this huge project that feels like it will never reach any sort of like satisfying conclusion. And then we can like do these other little things that give us the, the rush that we need or the, um, the encouragement to keep going and this, the opportunity to be like, look at this thing that I made, whether it's the one nice little self-contained podcast episode or you know a, a picture book or whatever like it's just it's it's good it's good that we do that I think our brains know what what they're doing sometimes sometimes yeah I hope so <laughs> <laughs> yeah no and it is good to have something that has an actual end um so but something that I was going to ask you is when you're in between because this is something else that it's sort of related, like when you do finish a big, maybe not the whole thing, but you finish like a draft and you can't just jump in and start revising it again. You have to wait a little bit. And um, How do you figure out what you need to do next? Like, what do you do with that time? Um, and I guess also, what do you do? You were talking about, you know, jumping from one thing to the other and getting really into this one project and then just burning out on it and how do you how do you I guess replenish yourself since you are working on so many things all the time do they sort of each like feed a different part of you or do you have to do something different um how does that yeah. work I think that they do feed a different part of me for sure um I mean they are all so different like just thinking about how my pandemic life has unfolded like in the beginning, I was revising my new book, Watch Over Me, like doing the very last things and the copy edits, and line edits and copy edits and all of that. And that's like a very sad, heavy book, right? And then I was doing, then I wrote a whole draft of my novel for adults, like just kind of, I made a 
packed with my friend Alana K. Arnold and we were like, we're both going to write these novels for adults that we've been wanting to write for a long time and we're just going to do it. And so even though I'd been working on that book for like 15 years or something ridiculous like that, it was basically like starting fresh. Like I, I basically wrote a whole novel in a very, very short period of time, but knowing so much about the characters over all of those years of working on it. Um, and then once that was done, I was like, I need something, you know, like I wanted to do something delightful. So I wrote this chapter book that was like the most delightful story, you know, that just like replenished me, you know, it was just like this sweet, fun, um, lighthearted, you know, innocent story after writing this novel that's very like also heavy and grappling with so many big feelings and problems and stuff. And then, and then um, I found myself turning, well, then it was like publicity time for Watch Over Me by the time that was over. So then I'm like, okay, like this is like the outward facing time. So I'm going to do some podcast episodes and I'm going to, you know, do a bunch of events and, and that sort of thing. So I feel like it's all, it's like, it's like my adult novel, Your Boy and I was able to just like get totally lost in this world. So that was doing one thing for me, right? It was like a, like a total escapism sort of thing. And then like I wrote, did one project that like lifted my spirits and filled me with joy. And then I did something that is an opportunity for connection, you know, whether it's, I mean, even if it's like, because I'm trying to make people know that I have this new book, it's still an opportunity to like genuinely connect with people. And through all of that has been the class that I teach the slow novel lab where I'm meeting with people and, you know, talking with them each week and, um, over Q and A's and like staying connected with a community of people from all over the world, actually, like there are plenty of people who aren't even in the U S so they all feed me in different ways. Um, and at the same time, they all pull away from each other, right? They all pull away from one another. Like when I'm doing, when I'm really immersed in one thing, it means I'm not giving the other things time. And, and I haven't found that sort of balance. Like I pledge to myself sometimes that I'll just like keep my social media up, like just like once, you know, but instead I, I like will post things for like a month and then we'll post nothing for like three months. <laughs> it's just, I just, um, I'm, I'm, I'm learning, I guess, that maybe I'm the kind of person who needs like blocks of time for each thing or like cycles, like there are cycles. And I don't know. I mean, who knows what that all means, but (laughs) (laughs) something. (laughs) Well, like one, one thing that I've noticed is I think I get, I think I've got it all figured out. I have the key. I know how I work. This is my, my like way of doing things. And then all of a sudden it all falls apart and it doesn't work anymore. And it's like, it's like how babies you you think okay finally like we have a schedule and then they change and you're just like wait a minute yeah. <laughs> we just I just figured you out so yeah. exactly um, yeah yeah we're all just babies basically <laughs> doing that to ourselves all the time <laughs> yeah I mean but the beautiful thing to the king of it that way is that means we're like people who are constantly growing right I mean that's what what that's, that's all about true. so yeah maybe we can just like. I mean, one of the things I've been trying to do is just meeting myself where I am whenever I can. I'm curious about how you build your online community. Like you do have, because I think Slow Novel Lab and some of the other things that you do online actually, you know, help to do that. And I think a lot of your messages, like you're very much, well, I guess maybe you can just talk about the ethos of Slow Novel Lab um, because I really like it. And I think it's 
you know, very welcoming. So yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess it like grew out of a feeling, um, of, I mean, I don't know, not frustration. I have nothing against NaNoWriMo and I've actually, I've like used NaNoWriMo to my own advantage <laughs> plenty of times. I've never done it, but I have like, I have been like, okay, you know, it's NaNoWriMo. Why don't I make my own goal? That's going to be completely modified and not at all like that. And it's mostly been like, what if I write every day, you know, and that has been great. So, but I think that, um, what I've seen just from like working with lots of writing students over many years is that people will be like, I have this thing that I wrote during NaNoWriMo <laughs> and like, what do I do with it? And, and they're like, it's just kind of all of these pages. And, and it's just, I feel like sometimes people are left with just this like huge mess that, you know, where they like know that there are some like good, good things in there, but they don't know what to do with them. And, um, which is like often what a first draft is anyway, but I just have seen it over and over and over again, this feeling of like, sometimes what people are left with are these things that they like are more overwhelming than having nothing. <laughs> so just, and I say that like, again, with no like offense towards <laughs> NaNoWriMo itself and with like full, um, celebration of like everybody who's taking part in it. Like it's, it's a wonderful exercise and, and obviously lots of great books have come from that. Um, but I think once when November I was feeling just a little bit prickly about it and, and thinking like, what, what is this like obsession with speed and like productivity and why, like, why would we think that it's a good idea? Like to be like, Oh, this is the month and I'm just going to barrel forward. Even if I think I'm in the, going in the wrong direction, I'm just going to keep going. Um, because I do feel like for my process, a lot of writing is like this slow, reflective, like time of examination and like, just kind of like walking around, looking at the world. And, and once you have that idea, like once you have those characters in that situation and like the beginning of that idea, just like taking it slow and seeing, like letting the world that you notice, like help shape what you're working on. And, um, and so I think that like, that's kind of where the, the initial idea came to me from it would be like, what if there's another way? Like what if for all the writers who are pretty slow um, and who the idea of trying to like race this clock over this month is really overwhelming and not helpful. And like, also like this idea of like winning and losing and like, I just, you know, that stuff I just cannot get behind. <laughs> so um so I was like, what if like, you know, I, I put down everything that I've learned, like from my experience of writing novels and, and exercises that I think can help, you know, get people really in the right headspace to get as deep into their stories as they can. And so that's where it initially came from on one hand. On the other hand, it came from just that I've been teaching all my adult life. Like it, it was my like my first jobs and first internships and all of that. I've just been like in classrooms for a lot of my adult life or teaching at Hamlin University's low residency MFA program. And I really love teaching. And I also feel sometimes confined by the like course guidelines and um, the deadlines and grades and all the, you know, expectations. And so the idea of just like creating something for my, on my own that could be exactly what I wanted it to be was really exciting to me. 
Um, and so I just thought I would give it a try and I did it. And it's just, it's been wonderful because it's just turned into this really big part of my professional life. And it's something that I love. And every time I have a new session, I look forward to it and get excited. And every group that goes through, um, I feel like has their own personality and own culture within the group and make these great connections and people form writing groups out of them. And we get to like celebrate the people's books coming out and you know, everything. And it's just, um, it's been just like really, really wonderful. And now I can't really imagine my life without, um, doing it. And the thing that like I always grapple with is it is an expensive class and I want like, I don't want it to feel like an exclusive thing. And so like through social media and through like my newsletter and, um, you know, different free events that I hold sometimes or like really affordable events, like $10 writing mornings or something. Um, I, I hope that it can be something that people can feel like they're really like learning or getting what they want to from it, um, without like being members of the class, um, you know, until that time is right. And I'm also working on different ideas to try to do scholarships and all of that, but that idea is, I mean, that can be overwhelming to think about what are the criteria and how do, who decides and how and all of that. So I'm still, still working on that one. But the other thing I've started doing is just donating some of the proceeds from each class to a cause that feels important. And so that's a way that I can give back um, in that way. So it's, again, it's just all, all something that I think about all the time and <laughs> have all sorts of ideas about it. And, and I have to give myself time to make things fall into place. Well, I think it's important to be thoughtful about that. Like I've seen a lot of, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of courses that now are offering scholarships and definitely I think that's a positive development, but I also think that may also, I just don't know, you know, it may be intimidating and it may also be difficult if you don't have enough spaces for the demand that you have, like the selection process mm -hmm. may be difficult as well. So yeah, it makes sense to think about it in advance. Yeah. 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 Well, and so you said something when you were talking about um, writing, but it just made it really clear that um, like connecting with others and sort of reaching out to other writers and sharing um, with not just writers, but readers. And when you were talking about your publicity, that that's just a really big part of who you are and what you do. And um, I mean, even the slow novel lab, even at the price, it's still less than an MFA, for instance. Yes. Um, and it offer it opens, it does open a space, but um, you have like different layers of of accessibility and affordability, and 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 the way that you reach out, um, and you also because just like being, you're just a very like warm, welcoming person. And so I think that definitely comes through in all of your stuff. Um, and so I'm sure some of this is just sort of natural or instinctive, but how, when you're putting together, for instance, um, a small community like Slow Novel Lab, do you go about it like in a deliberate, intentional way of like making it welcoming and open? Um, thank you for all of that first. <laughs> it's very kind. Um, let's see. I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess I, what I really want from that class and community is just like, as 
you know, cliche as it sounds, like a way for writers to feel less alone in the process of going through all of those things. Um, it actually, it started with, I just wanted to like revamp my social media. Like I just felt like I wasn't doing a good job. I was kind of like enjoying Instagram at that time. And I was like, you know, I should do something meaningful on here. I think it was like when people first started doing really long form um, captions and I was like, oh, here, this platform that just started being, you know, mostly about visuals was suddenly about these long captions. And the people I followed who was, who were doing those, I was like, whenever I saw one, I got so excited because it's like reading this little essay that you can read in like two minutes, but is satisfying. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to try to do that. Um, so I started doing these posts about writing and then, um, I got so many comments, like the responses were just amazing. Like just like people writing their own like long form comments to my <laughs> like caption and it was really motivating for me. And I thought like, oh gosh, like there's so many people who want to engage more deeply around their own writing. And so then I started wondering, you know, like what, what could that turn into? And so it turned into like a newsletter and then it turned into a podcast and then it turned into a class. And so I just, I think like starting from a place of just like thinking, I, like I, all I thought I was going to be doing was Instagram, but then like noticing where people felt like noticing that there was like a demand, like people were hungry for that sort of content led me to do more things. And so I guess like, I guess my answer is just that it was a really organic evolution of, um, or progression that started with people's comments on posts and, and then grew from there. So, and also like started with how I felt when people were commenting on those posts because it made me really happy. But then I also, oh, it, actually here's, I forgot this like nuance. So it made me really happy to get all the comments but being on Instagram so much was making me miserable. Like the, um, all the like numbers of likes and like how well did one post do compared to the next made me so just like anxious and on edge and, um, just like uh, brought up all sorts of like feelings of being a failure, even though it was like the best thing I'd done online, you know, <laughs> even though it was great, I felt miserable. But what I did like was, was the content and the comments. And so that's when I decided to kind of like shift my focus in terms of what, how I would try to, you know, continue these sorts of conversations. So, I mean, it's just like, it all goes, I feel like our theme today is turning out to be about like experimentation and ideas and, you know, where, where, when, where things lead to and how you don't like ever really know until you're doing it, right? Well, yeah, so talking about experimentation, it is funny because Olivia and I have been having similar conversations about Instagram yeah. and and that's a whole other episode, I think. But um, talking about experimentation, how do you, or do you, I mean, I'm assuming yes, because you're a human, but um, <laughs> how do you handle the idea of doing something just for fun, especially when it's writing, which is also your income? stream like how do you handle doing something that may or may not turn out to be anything or like maybe you don't even want it to be anything um and dealing with those kinds of experiments without losing your mind um i kind of don't to be honest like i i always like i've never been able to keep a journal um and i think like i don't know what it is but even as a kid like i 
I mean, I would write poems. I think I've always wanted to make whole things. So like I can do like if I'm in the middle of writing a novel or starting to write a novel or, or revising one, I can do exercises for that project, knowing that it's going to make that project better. Um, and that it's going to like impact the actual thing that I'm producing, but I'm really, really bad at, um, just doing things for fun, like really horrible at it. And, <laughs> um, and I can't do it with writing at all. Like, I mean, cause I, I just like, like it's my, you know, it's like, it's my profession. So it's like, if I start to do something, I, I always go to a place where I would, I wonder what it is and how it would be published. And like, that's just how it is for me in my brain. But I have started um, playing the ukulele <laughs> and that's, that's like the thing that I do for fun. <laughs> I mean, besides like play with my daughter and take walks and enjoy life, you know, and um, cook and stuff like that. But that's where if I'm feeling like, yeah, I mean, that's, I'm like training myself to just do something for pleasure. Like I am not a good musician. I never will be, but that's my way of just being like, okay, this is, um, I'm going to take a break and I'm going to do this thing that just feels good. And, you know, so I, I guess when I'm in that mode of just wanting to experiment and do something for the sake of fun, I, I think at this point I'm, I, I leave writing to do that. Um, and writing remains its own thing. That makes sense. I think like for me, it's really hard to understand when is something fun. And also like, I think, I don't know, uh, it, when you're sort of starting out, uh, then it's also really hard to take yourself seriously. So in a way, sometimes saying that something is just fun is like a cop out actually, like maybe you should not like, it should be fun. Like you shouldn't torture yourself obviously, but like, um, I don't know. I'm talking to myself definitely right now. Um, but, but I'm like, oh, I have all these like ideas and they're just fun. But then obviously I don't finish them. And I think it is like a way of making sure that I don't move forward in a way, you know, like your avoidant thing that you were just discussing is like also my, like if I'm stuck on one thing, that's it. Like I can't progress on anything else. And maybe sometimes it's like worth pushing through or, you know, doing something imperfectly and then seeing where you end up or whatever. Uh, but also I think abandoning projects like is also important. So it's a sort of fine balance. Um, I loved, there is one of your podcast episodes where you talk about that novel that I guess you've now completely rewritten, mm -hmm. but I really love that. Like, and I think it's very brave. Actually, I'm taking a short story course right now um, online and we sort of introduced ourselves and I was saying, I was like, wrote a novel and then I abandoned that and I'm writing another novel. And the teacher was like, that's great that you can abandon your first project because a lot of people just get stuck with that, you know? Mm -hmm. And she was yeah. like, great job. You have to quit things that don't work. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I mean, I think the, the worst thing that people can do for themselves or to themselves is like have that first project and feel like their whole worth as a writer is tied to that one thing and you know, be unable to let it go. Like if I had just stayed with that, with this novel that I finished and just like tried and tried and tried, I think I would have had such a frustrating, you know, experience instead of just letting it be and like trusting that I'd come back to it and growing as a writer and learning more and more all the time and then returning when I was ready. Um, yeah. Yeah. It would have been a, a much different thing. 
We have a hashtag in our writing group. Uh, Is this what you're about to say? That's what I was about to say. (laughs) Uh, It's like first novel never dies where, I mean, like even when you abandon it, definitely when I'm frustrated with this novel, I'm like, guys, I have this great idea for my first novel. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so we've already discussed your adult book where we were like, look, first novel never dies. (laughs) It's true. It's true. It stays with you forever. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I was curious, if you don't mind, Megan, if you didn't have anything more No, jump in. Um, It's probably what I'm thinking anyway, so you've been doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Channel you. We'll see. We're just wrapping up a season about, like, writing friendships. And so Mm -hmm. I was curious about writing partnerships or friendships that you've had and like you know anybody that you want to discuss and in particular we've interviewed pairs of people and also just talked to people who write about friendships so I'm curious and your books talk about friendship as well so yeah I mean friendship is such a big and important part of my life for sure um and so I I really do I mean I think it's it's so important so it's always going to show up in my work I think um in terms of writing friendships, it's been like really interesting to see how, you know, they change over the years, you know, like I, but I've had some really steadfast ones that have been amazing. Like my writing group, we've been meeting since um, we finished grad school, which was in 2006. So it's been a long run Um, and it's been really great. And like our careers and focuses have taken different turns and it's really exciting like we have there are four of us um and one is a poet and she just won the um national poetry series for this manuscript of hers that we read you know a couple drafts of and have just like championed and rooted for for so long and it just got this great honor and it's going to be published with um by penguin next year um, her name's Teresa K. Miller. And then um, Carly Ann West is another member of the group. And she had, um, she's, she writes horror um, novels and she's really great. And she ended up writing a bunch of um, work for hire projects do, um, that are video game spinoffs. Um, Hello Neighbor is what the, the video game is and what the series is. And they've just been like wildly successful, this series of books. And it's a re- really cool like to see how um, work for hire projects can become like so much the work of the author. Like she, you know, is abs- she created new characters and just did like so many amazing things there. And um, I just read a draft of her first like original story that she's done in a while and it's just amazing and I can't wait for that to come out um and then Laura Joyce Davis is the the other member and she has started this great podcast series called Shelter in Place um that also it's it's an example of like something that started at the beginning of the pandemic that has endured um and she did an episode a day for like months and months it was wild because you know when it first started we didn't know what was going to happen right i don't think any of us thought that (laughs) things would stretch on the way that they have and so she thought it would be the short-term project but it's become this huge thing and she's so good at it and um this the second season just started and it's following her family's journey during this time and just like 
the chaos of three young children and, you know, two parents all trying to make it all work. So it's just been really exciting, like to follow, you know, one another's careers this whole way and seeing how everything has evolved. And, and it's great. We, we meet monthly and it's every time it's just like this wonderful, familiar thing where we all know every step of our whole trajectory from grad school till now. So that's been wonderful. And then, um, I have a few friends who I always turn to, to read drafts of mine as well. And, and I read theirs and it's just really great. And, um, most recently Alana K. Arnold and I have been doing a lot of collaborations. We have written, um, a, a screenplay and a TV pilot and, um, we have another couple of projects um, in, in the works and we also critique each other's books and multiple drafts and, and so forth. And so um, that's been a really just great partnership in that way where um, we just trade all the time and, and read, a, read a lot. So that's been great. And then it's um, my friend Nicole Kronzer and my friend Brandy Colbert and I, we do that as well. And it's just... Um, it's just great. It's so nice to like have people, you know, who like genuinely like your work. I think that's so important. Like to, you know, cause there are plenty of people in writing groups who don't really like one another's work very much. And, and I think like starting from a place of being like, Oh, you like what I do as a writer, you know, like it's all like a mutual admiration society. And so then, then we can begin at this like foundational point where even if a project isn't working, um, we know that the person can do it. And like, it's like, you know, as a critiquer, we know that the person can pull something off, even if they aren't yet. And as the writer, we know that they have like a, a foundation of respect for our, for what we can do. And so then, you know, hopefully it's a little bit less earth shattering if what we've done isn't quite <laughs> measuring up yet. Um, so yeah, I just, I can't really imagine my writing life without writing friendships and partnerships in that way. Are they um, people that you already knew and then you sort of co-opted them into your writing life or are they people kind of from your writing life that you turned into friendships? I mean, it, um, it varies. Let's see. Yeah, it varies with, um, I mean, with my writing group, we all went to grad school, so we knew each other, you know? Um, so that, I don't know which category that one fits into because we all were, we all met because we wanted to pursue writing. Right. Um, with, with the, the latter three that I mentioned, it has evolved. Like with my friend, Nicole Kronzer, who wrote the wonderful YA novel, Unscripted. Um, she, when we first met, she was a teacher and she wasn't writing yet. Um, and I went to her school for a school visit for Hold Still. And so we met that way. And when I first started reading her novels, it was like kind of like a mentor relationship. Like I was like teaching her what I knew and like helping her along. And now, you know, she has this great book out and more in the works. And I've, and now she critiques my work too. So that has been like a really nice, gratifying evolution. Um, with Brandy and Alana, it's certainly been like we met each other because we were all writers and um, teaching together. We teach, we all teach together at the Hamlin program as well. So that's just been a kind of nice, um, you know, personal thing that's come out of that professional work. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I don't know if that was your question that you're going to ask Megan or not. No, but I don't. <laughs> that was a good question. 
But like one of the things that I know that we talked about talking about and that we're all kind of, um, Olivia and I have been talking and examining and that I, I know that YA has been confronting the issues of like diversity and race and gatekeeping and publishing and that kind of thing um, for maybe longer than the adult publishing world has, um, at least out in the open. Um, but obviously this summer was a big big deal and yeah. there were a lot of like big conversations and as um you know Olivia and I are both like white writers and white podcasters and we've we've stopped to take kind of a look at at where we started and then kind of where we inadvertently ended up through inattention which was mm -hmm. mostly dealing with other white publishing people and this this season as we're talking about community obviously like a lot of stuff comes what feels like really naturally, you know, through the people that you just kind of meet and the people that you talk to and the people who are interested um, and like a warm and welcoming person can help create like a lot of really fantastic community, but there's also a lot that has to be done intentionally and with sort of planning. And that's something that Olivia and I are really looking at and focusing on. And, you know, there's, it's a big, like, there's so much more than just what color is a person's skin. I mean, there's, like, we, we talked about, um, like, passing privilege, and, you know, somebody can have, like, white passing privilege. I have straight passing privilege. Like, there's a lot, um, a lot that's there that has to be either just asked or volunteered or spoken. And I guess coming up with like a single question from all oh, this is hard, but <laughs> um, what are some of the things, like one of the things that we've been doing is sort of examining when we're, when we're looking for a guest, um, this, this is was really clear when we were looking at our money season, when we were talking about finance is just the way that things are set up. The people who are considered experts also are white and that being white conveys a sense of like expertise on them that, may or may not be earned. Um, and, and so the names that we knew of to go to, most of them were white people and we didn't even like stop to question that. And um, so one of the things that we've been doing is like thinking about who we're approaching and who we're considering an expert in something and who, um, but publishing, one of the things that gets said all the time is publishing has a big gatekeeping problem and blah, blah, blah. And like that was, that's kind of a concrete example of it. But I guess what are some of the things that you are thinking about? And like we talked about with experimentation and jumping into projects and getting started without really doing a lot of like planning can sometimes backfire. And so it's not even necessarily what are you actively mm -hmm. doing right now, but just kind of where is your head in all of this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, I think my head in all of this is in a very personal place right now. Like, I my adult novel, Yerba Buena, is coming out in 2022. It's um, like it's a it's a novel that is really big for me because it like the foundation of it is with my grandparents and with my dad's experience. My grandparents um, were Creole from New Orleans and moved from New Orleans to Los Angeles during the Great Migration. My grandfather fought um, in World War II in what was known as the Colored Troops. Um, he 
and his, you know, um, all the people who he fought with were subjected to some of the worst conditions in the war and given the most dangerous and, you know, um, horrible <laughs> assignments. I, for lack of a better word, I don't know anything about how wars are fought, really. <laughs> um, so I don't know what to call it all. But I mean, he, one of his um, stories was like after D-Day, his troop was sent to, um, Normandy beach to clean up the bodies and get the IDs off of all of the, the dead soldiers. Like these are like the kinds of things that, um, these men did, you know, cause they had to. And, and then they came back to their homes and were still subject to segregation and couldn't get good jobs. And, um, so that's my, my dad's side of the family. Like my heritage comes from, these people who have such a complex um, position in, you know, American history because they had lighter skin, many of them. My grandfather was the lightest skinned person in his family. And so, you know, he was able to move through the world in a way that was a lot different from his own siblings who had darker skin. And, you know, and, and even though like he was, um, you know, endured segregation and discrimination and, and so much. He still was, of course, more privileged than people who weren't mixed race in New Orleans, right? And so, and, and yet, like, they had to leave everything, their families and, like, their, you know, the, the cemeteries that where their ancestors were buried and their churches and everything to come to LA in order to make a better life for their families and not be subjected to all of that. But in LA, they started out in housing projects and they really, you know, worked so hard to get the, the modest stability that they were able to get. And I think I found like, just because I am absolutely a white passing person, also a straight passing person. Um, so much of my identity has been like, it's just so much easier to just like go with what people assume or not dig into what everything means. Right. And and also there's so much like, like I would never want to take up space like in my own expression of, um, you know, any creative endeavor that has to do with race. Um, I don't want to like be like the person who gets to like profit off of a story and also be like such a white passing person with such privilege. And so, I mean, I'm really trying to like figure out what it all means. So I guess I'm, you know, that, that story is the, that novel, one of the characters is just basically like in the circumstances I would have been if I had grown up in LA instead of the Bay area, like it's my grandparents' house. It's like some of the, the places where the character goes like where her father lived is exactly where my father lived. It's like, it's kind of like playing out this different life in a way. Like if I had been more surrounded by that, my family of origin, where all of my cousins and grandparents and, and uncles live, um, like what might my life had, had looked like. So it's kind of like reconnecting or connecting for the first time in a, in a deep way with that side of my family. And it's been interesting because like when I look back at my work, most of my characters have been white, like because it is the default, right? And um, 
it's more complicated. Like for me, it's a very, like my identity is very complex. And so like, if the novel wasn't going to be about that, then I wasn't able to fully explore it. The um, only exception to that is everything leads to you where I have a character who's um, one of her parents is half black and she's white passing and it's mentioned her brother has darker skin than she does, which is the same as me. And, but I think people like read that book and think that I, that that doesn't relate to me, you know, and, but even though it does. So anyway, I think like I'm, I'm starting at it at a place through like my own art, examining what it is that I produce and why, like, why is it that I have, um, like, where, where do I fit? Where, um, you know, why do we like go towards the dominant culture as a place of, um, without like examining that more kind of as a side note to that, I was recently on a really great panel um, where everybody was queer on it and people were saying that it took them until their third novels to write a queer protagonist and that's exactly what happened to me too you know like it took me until my third novel <laughs> um and I don't really know why like but that is it just like took that long um and then now it's taken me until my like seventh novel to write about a creole woman who <laughs> um has you know all of that family history to to parse through and and figure out. So um, I think it's just an ongoing, you know, like a quest for awareness and, um, and the more we can understand where we're all coming from um, and the complexities behind that, I think we'll be able to understand also where others are coming from, you know, better. And I just, I think like what we need to avoid are these like knee-jerk reactions and these um, just like hashtags that we can throw all over everything like and to make ourselves feel better <laughs> like I think it just it's like deep work to figure out how everything works and um as long as we can like both accept our privilege in whatever form that comes in and also look at the nuances of everything I think that is just gonna like set us up and in, in a good way to make real meaningful change yeah, I think it's a good answer. It is really good. No, but I think like you have to start, obviously you have to be politically active where that's appropriate, right? And, you know, whatever vote and everything else. But um, I think you have to start also looking at what is your own like history and legacy and, you know, how, what are the assumptions that you're making in your day-to-day -day life? And there's always like new levels that you can look at yourself yeah. you know yeah and all the complexities like none of us have these like easy straightforward pasts right like yeah. my my dad has gotten super into genealogy so he's like constantly discovering things and in in our family tree we have enslaved people and we have slave owners you know like we have all of it it's all complicated and you know it's just like this very tangled <laughs> web and I think you know for most of us or at least like if we're looking at history and everything like it's it's important to to look at all of it right yeah yeah and I think I mean the more the less you look at it or the more you're willing to accept these sort of I mean literally black and white but you know not nuanced versions of history then the more susceptible you are to also to manipulation on the basis of that mm -hmm. absolutely okay. and the more you don't do the work yourself and ask other people to do it for you. Um, and I think that's where, you know, starting with looking at your own, your own things um, is important. And 
what one of the questions that we um, have been discussing just with our own writing group um, and with each other is, you know, who are you to tell, and this is a story, this is a question we've been hearing for a long time, who are you to tell this story? Yeah. Um, but I think that goes, that goes, you have to answer that question. You can't just ask somebody else to come and do it for you. Mm -hmm. so. Or like look over your work and make sure you haven't right. said anything terribly offensive and then feel right. okay. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and go deep when you're, yeah, I think all of the commentary, like, yeah, Alexander T probably most famously, but lots mm -hmm. of people have talked about this a lot. Yeah. We're really mindful of your time and know that you have places yeah. to go. Your new book, Watch Over Me, um, just came out and we, it's so fantastic. And I know that you've kind of done a lot of your publicity touring and that kind of stuff already, but is there anything that you want to say about it or, you know, let's talk about it a little bit. Um, it's a little bit different, but it's still a Nina LaCour book. Um, and I think you have kind of a, there's like a core to your books that um, just really resonates all the way through um, all of them, both in just style and in substance. Um, it's, it's so, it's beautiful, it's spare, it's haunting. Um, and it's about like self-discovery and all of those things, but it is different. I mean, it's, it's different from what you've done before. And so there's not really a question here, just <laughs> one gushing over how much I love the book. And I tried to force myself to slow down and read like a chapter a day. And then I read the last half in like an hour. Um, so, but it's just, just kind of an open question is, you know, is there anything that you want to share about the book um, or Thank the you. process or how you arrived at it or something that you haven't been asked and it's not the same thing that you have to say in all of your other yeah <laughs> I love that um thank you you know I think this book is really a result of like feeling the need to branch out a little bit I think in what I was doing um I was just telling you know realistic teen stories which you know definitely have my heart and you know I I love telling those stories um, but I think I, I felt like I just needed to try something different. And so I thought that the answer was ghosts. <laughs> and, and so that's what I tried to do. But it also was a good lesson to me just in terms of like that I write about the things that I write about and I probably always will write about those things, you know, and which is like grief and longing and connections and trying so hard to connect to people and sometimes getting those like beautiful moments of it and sometimes missing it. And, um, and so, yeah, it, it was a really, it was a process where I felt like I was both like stretching myself in terms of craft and what I was trying, the kind of story that I was trying to tell, but also like very deeply like coming home into the themes and feelings and moods that I really enjoy as a writer. Um, and it was, it was a, it was kind of a tough one. I, I wrote a draft in the middle, like in my middle stage of revising where I kind of messed it all up. Um, trying to get too specific about how the world worked and how um, the ghosts worked and the memories that my character Mila has throughout. 
and um, it became kind of like cumbersome in a way. And then I had to strip all of that back. And so I learned a lot <laughs> through writing it as, as I always do um, with each project. But, and I feel really proud of it. I feel like it's, um, I feel like it is as kind of, as you were saying, Megan, like it's both different and the same. And I like that. <laughs> No, it's really beautiful. I have, I'm on 70% right now, so I'm going to finish it by tomorrow, but um, okay, <laughs> no, but it's such a beautiful book. And um, I don't know, I've just been in, because I'm in the middle of writing my own book and trying to figure out who my characters are. There's just like, the characters are really deep and they seem really real. And I, you know, as Megan said as well, like spare, but also there's, just, there's like a lot of depth to it. So um, yeah, anyway. Yeah. Thank you. And it's spooky, so it's perfect for the sort of season of the year. Yes, yes, yes. yeah. I wanted spooky, and I it was funny because I was like, I don't. I was like, I don't know. Am I allowed to write a book like a ghost story that's not actually very scary? That's like just has a feeling of like spookiness. And um, what we kind of landed on was like it's actually her past that's like the scary part, like the stuff that she went through before coming to be here. Like that's where the actual a lot of actual fear, I think, or like those feelings um, come through. And because what I love about ghosts are actually, it's like, I love like a romantic view of ghosts. I love like the feeling of being haunted, you know, like I don't, I don't want them to like come out and, you know, kill you or anything. So. Yeah, like haunting, <laughs> haunting chic, you know, like. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, but, it, but the whole, I mean, it, I, again, I'm 70% and so, and I won't, spoil anything but there is like a spooky feeling about everything because also these kids I mean I don't think it's spoiling anything like the kids are damaged right like um and so everything is sort of spooky as well for them because it's such an unusual Mm -hmm. situation and like arrangement basically yeah you know yeah definitely Um, yeah I liked I like the idea of like I mean, one of the things I always go to in my work is this idea of starting with something that's true or like from life and then amplifying it. I think that's just, I really like doing that. Um, And so I liked this idea of like, whenever we make a decision, whether or not to trust people or to like let them in or, um, you know, to show them who we are, there's a degree of at least for me, like skepticism, um, fear, (laughs) reluctance, like, you know, there's a lot that to me that goes into like making a decision to like really trust someone as, as a friend or a confidant and, um, and like that they have like your best interests in mind, that they're really going to take care of you. Like all of those things, like I think those are, are big. And so, that's a lot of what Mila is going through at the farm too, you know? So I, I really wanted it to not feel like, even though everybody is like pretty kind and like it, I wanted there to be that feeling of, um, you know, like just wondering if who could be trusted and, and if anybody can actually be trusted. Yeah. And then, yeah, that definitely um, comes through. So Anyway, people should read it. Listeners should read it. Um, thank you. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for your time. We really enjoyed this conversation. Appreciate everything. Yeah. Oh, it was a real, a real pleasure. And thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. And that's it for this week. You can find us online at marginallypodcast.com and on Instagram at marginallypodcast. Our email is podcast at marginallypodcast.com. 
And if you haven't already, please subscribe to our newsletter. The sign-up form is on our website. And if you enjoy the show, please consider rating it and leaving a review in your podcast app and or sharing an episode with a friend. This will help us to grow our community. Thanks for listening and happy writing. Marginally is produced by the two of us, Megan and Olivia. So excuse any amateur issues. We're working on it. Theme music is It's Time by Skarika Rikaska. Show notes for every episode are available at marginallypodcast.com. If you enjoyed this episode of Marginally, you might also enjoy one of our favorite podcasts, Hashtag Writing with Jess and KJ. Every episode is full of great information and encouragement. Look for it wherever you get your podcasts or find the link in our show notes. Thanks for listening. We're going to have a lot of awkward pauses because uh, we like look at each other to see who wants to ask a question. <laughs> <laughs>